Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Well, hello, hello, hello. Like they said, I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to another week's edition of Don't Box Me In. Today, we will be learning how to grow, become a better us, and self-realize with my guest, TJ Woodward. TJ has written a book titled Conscious Being, which is a compelling resource for those seeking self-realization. It serves as a guide for awakened living, which is a state of higher clarity and presence, and is a more natural condition than many are aware exist within each of us. TJ is the founding spiritual director of Awakened Living in San Francisco and is in private practice as a spiritual counselor and awakening coach. I'm happy that he's taken time to spend with me today and extend a big welcome his way. TJ, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Well, thank you so much, Lana. It is an honor to be here. I love the title of your show and can't wait to get into this conversation. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being here with me. I'm delighted uh, to have you and I'm, I'm looking forward to learning a uh, what you have to share with us today. I think everybody can benefit from uh, what you have here. Now, um, just so that we can get on the same page, I, page, I like the audience to kind of know uh, some key terms and, and some basic understanding as we move forward with the interview today. Um, but in your book, Conscious Being, you talk a, a lot about this term, enlightenment. Now, how do you define that as it's different from like spirituality or religion? Well, thank you. That's a great question. And, and, and I want to start by saying what I used to think enlightenment was and the way I hear it getting talked about a lot, because I think it's important to offer that framework. Early in my uh, spiritual journey or my journey of uh, finding a spiritual path, I either was being taught or at least I thought I heard people saying enlightenment was only for a few masters and that there was a particular way for us to get there. My, my definition or what I thought enlightenment was going to be is that I would be free from the human experience, no longer feel sadness, no longer feel frustration. And, you know, that just absolutely is not what enlightenment means to, to me today. So enlightenment or awakening to me today means waking up to the ultimate reality of who and what we are, which is one with uh, source, one with God, one with love, uh, one with light, and our ego, our collection of stories, our thoughts, our beliefs actually still exist, but it doesn't, they're not dominating our lives. Another way to say it is, um, I was really hoping one day that my mind would stop thinking, and mm -hmm. what enlightenment means to me today is that I no longer believe that my thoughts are who I am. Okay, okay. And how does that all tie into this concept of uh, spirituality or religion? Because sometimes we like to link it all together in one big uh, box, but it's clearly not the same thing. Absolutely. And, and the, the way, thank you for, for saying spirituality and religion and kind of what the difference might be and then what enlightenment might be. Um, the, the short answer, well, we'll see if it's short, but the answer that I have <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> you know how I love to talk. <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead. We have a whole hour. We're gonna, we got a lot of time to talk. Perfect. Okay. Well, you know, many religious people, of course, are spiritual, and many spiritual people are religious and some are not. So they're really different to me. Um, enlightenment is available to all of us, regardless of whether we follow a particular spiritual path or a particular religion. And the way that they're different to me is awakening or awakened living really is about getting in touch with and recognizing our essential self. Now, for some, they identify with a spiritual path or a religious path. So I think it, in some ways it's semantics, right? So if I'm on a particular mm -hmm. religious path, I may call that God. If I'm not, I may call that source or energy. Uh, it, it, so I, I think they're, they're interlinked, but definitely also separate. Okay, okay. Now, you've, you've brought up this term, awakened living, uh, excuse me, awakened living, and um, you say in your book that some of us are, are walking around in this state of unawakened living, living, and some people are walking around in awakened living. What are the signs that somebody um, is unawakened and has an opportunity to grow into this state of enlightenment that we're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I, in my life, early in my life, I, I didn't have any idea I was asleep. And what I mean by that is there were a lot of things happening in my unconscious or my subconscious that I had no idea were running the show. 
and some of the ways that after I after I had an awakening experience, so I had a sudden awakening awakening experience in India in 2006, and I also had a gradual awakening coming into awareness or integrating this experience. So it wasn't like I had this. I, I mean, I would have loved if I just had this magical awakening experience, and then from that day on, I was free of any attachment or ego. Definitely not my experience. I had this sudden awakening experience, and then. Um, over the next few years, and I continue to integrate that. So to answer your question, some ways I know um, or I recognize in retrospect that I was living an unawakened life, and in the clients I work with, um, some of the symptoms, I guess, or characteristics of an unawakened life would be clinging and striving to external outcomes, uh, finding myself feeling separate from other people, um, wanting to resist uh, mm-hmm. and uh, having judgment and having uh, fixed opinions and a need to share them. Those are some things that come to mind to me in this moment. Okay, okay. Now, the sad thing about that, though, is we have a lot of people that we encounter on a day-to-day basis who are like that but don't see anything with, wrong with how they're living. Um, how, how do you get a person to this this place where we have some growth to do. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking there's a lot of people that I know in my, my day-to-day living that are like what you just described. Absolutely. And, and you know what I'll say? The short answer is <laughs> we don't get someone to do that. That's going to be okay. every individual gets to decide that. Uh, in most people, not everyone, but in most people that I work with, they've already had a couple of different things happen. One would be they have some kind of loss in their life. That was my experience. They might have had an illness or they might have gone through a divorce. Uh, Maybe their children went off to college. So there's an experience of the way I was living. There's a sudden change, and it's an opportunity for me to really recognize that I might want to make some changes. Um, Another way people come to this that I work with a lot is that, that, you know, they have these successful careers. They have the perfect partner. They've, they've done and they've achieved all the things that they believed were going to make them happy, and there's still this yearning for more. And so mm-hmm. those, those moments where we say, now what, or is this all there is, when someone asks that question, is this all there is, I know we're on um, onto something in terms of them being willing to uh, try a different way of being. Okay, okay. Now, just so the, the audience can have a little bit more personal story about TJ, and you mentioned this briefly. You went through this process of asking some questions of yourself. You said in 2006, um, are you able to share what was actually going on in your life and what was it that sparked the, 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 uh, the movement towards self-realization and enlightenment for you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, uh, I, I'll, I'll backtrack a little. Uh, early okay. in my life, in my 20s, I found uh, Eastern thought. I went to oh. India. I really discovered a path that really resonated with me. I okay. grew up in kind of a traditional Christian religion, um, which I'm really grateful for. I grew up in the Episcopal Church, um, so I didn't have any, you know, I know some people have um, some stuff around religion they need to unlearn. I had a great experience, and Eastern thought really resonated with me more. But when I, st- when I turned maybe 30, I shifted somehow into an externally focused life. Somehow, and I don't know what was happening in my life, I don't really recall exact events, but I started the trajectory of my life was moving me away from my spiritual center, and I started believing again that I wanted to achieve externally. Um, Mm -hmm. In retrospect, I can look back and say that there was some part of me that still felt broken or damaged in some way, and because I was carrying around that core belief, um, I believed that if I achieved in a particular way, I would be okay. And so my entire 30s was based on building a business, um, getting the right house, getting the right partner, getting the car I wanted. And I kept feeling more and more empty the more I cl- you know, was clinging and striving to externals. Um, so when I, just before I turned 40, uh, in 2004 maybe, I had this inner stirring, this inner knowing that I wanted to go into uh, ministry. I was a member of Unity San Francisco at the time. Uh, I knew I wanted to be a spiritual teacher of some sort. And quite honestly, I pushed that, uh, that knowing down for a while. And when I finally said yes to it, the, the life that I had built 
was on a very shaky foundation because it was built, again, with this assumption that I was broken and all this stuff needed to fix me. And so when I said yes to my uh, deeper spiritual calling, everything got stripped away from me. Everything, I, it all crumbled. I, I lost yeah. my partner. I lost the house. I lost my business. And I found myself bankrupt and depressed, which yeah. I now recognize was the important point of transformation for me. And that, that spiritual experience came about a year later because in letting go of, and, and it's not about the stuff, but it was all my attachment to it. In letting go of that, I had an opportunity. There was a doorway or a gateway at that point, and I came to an understanding that if I was going to rebuild my life, I wanted to build it from the inside out this time rather than the outside in because that way just simply didn't work. Okay, awesome, awesome. Now, I, I want to um, get some understanding. So you, you've mentioned a couple of times this externally focused life and, you know, with your own example, you were placing a lot of weight on stuff and things. And I think uh, in general, as a whole, we have a problem with this as uh, a society. But I'm wondering if it's possible to, as you grow and become a more enlightened individual, to still kind of coexist in a healthy manner with stuff. Yes, and thank you for asking that because we can just we can just as easily be attached to not having stuff. You know, I know people that enter a spiritual path and believe that there's something inherently wrong with having financial success or having a nice house, and there's an idea that if they, they release all that or let that go, they'll be more spiritual. And that is certainly not what I'm saying um, because I know that I could have an attachment to that as much as I could have an attachment to the stuff. So the way it has worked in my life is because I had that experience and that gateway that I walked through and recognized that I needed and wanted to find out what my inherent purpose was in life, then, of course, you know, the financial success followed that. And I've been able to rebuild my life. I have um, incredible work that I do. I work with clients. I've, I've been able to have a financially prosperous life again. The difference is I'm no longer believing uh, that that is what is going to bring me happiness. And, you know, and, I, and, and, and thank you for saying that our culture is, we're pretty externally focused, and I think there's, there's, a, there's a degree of emptiness that has happened in American culture um, because we're trained from such an early age, and it's, it's unconscious, but we're trained from such an early age that stuff is going to make us happy. So it's, it's really, you know, I know plenty of people that, that are, you know, have a million dollars or more and are very happy, and I know people that have nothing and are very happy. So it's, it's not that it's, it's, it's about the stuff. It's about, I think, our attachment to it and our relationship to life. Okay, good tips, good tips. Now, uh, continuing on with your personal um, evolution um, you, in 2006 when all this happened to you and you kind of started this process of not becoming so or externally focused or not becoming externally focused at all. Uh, what was the first step that you took to, to grow and evolve? Well, my first step was to honor that inner knowing. Uh, and it didn't make sense in my mind. And, and as I said, that had kind of all fallen apart in 2005. I knew that somehow I was wanting to share um, my spiritual journey and assist uh, with raising consciousness on the planet. I thought that would be ministry in some way. I had a vision to, to write a book uh, that would speak very simply about the awakening process. So the first step, Lana, was to really honor that and to be with that and to trust that. Now, you know, again, I didn't have this, this awakening experience and then everything was easy after that. As a matter of fact, there were, there were periods that I kind of felt like lost in the wilderness. And what I mean by lost in the wilderness is I did trust this inner knowing, but I didn't really know how it was going to look, look externally. I didn't know how was, I was going to uh, rebuild my life financially and get back into, you know, living an abundant life. But I just kept trusting. I kept trusting that, and I kept doing, like, what was the, what's the next thing for me to do? And for me, that was to go to school. I went to school for five years, and studied spiritual development and spiritual leadership at Unity Institute, and just let that inner guide um, really move me in the direction of my purpose. Okay, okay. I think that's what I was wondering, is if you kind of 
forge this path on your own or did you have somebody kind of holding your hand and walking you through the process and you know now that you so you went to school so there was uh, some resources out there for you to go to to kind of help you along in your journey absolutely and I, I feel like community and mentorship is so so important one of the first things I did after these experiences of listening to that inner knowing was go and meet with people that were doing the work and okay. really ask them to share their own journey. And it's not that I was going to walk their path, but it was very, very helpful to hear how people were able to manifest, you know, the vision, the, the, the knowing, because it's one thing to have an inner sense of purpose, and it's another thing to, to be able to use that uh, purpose as a guideline or a way to move us uh, into the manifestation of that dream purpose. I like that. We're going to talk about that a little later um, because I really like that term. But right now we're going to take a commercial break and we'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Today, I am hanging out with T.J. Woodward. He is the author of the book, Conscious Being. And before the break, uh, he was sharing with us his own personal journey. And right before we had to cut the break, you had mentioned uh, purpose. And I really, really like that term. Um, But when I was reading through your um, book in in preparation for today, you said something like, um, you talk about knowing and nurturing our purpose but I, I've always felt that sometimes people have really struggle with this concept. They, they walk around for many, many years not even understanding what their purpose might possibly be. Um, is, is there some sort of way we can start to direct people and guide them to understanding what their, what their purpose is? Yeah, this, this is a really great thing to be in conversation about because uh, I chose the title for my book, Conscious Being, based on an Eckhart Tolle quote, which is, Conscious Being Leads to Conscious Doing. And when we talk about purpose, uh, most of us, especially those of us in America and the West, uh, when we hear the word purpose, we think of an external activity. My purpose is to do this, or my purpose mm-hmm. is to be, you know, to be this in this career. Uh, so there's first an inner purpose, and that inner purpose is to awaken. Uh, it's to uh, remove or let go of or find a way to dismantle and disengage from the mind and dis- dismantle those stories that have held us back so that we can be awake. Without that, we are running around uh, trying to find external purpose. And even if we get it, you know, quote unquote, right, it's not going to bring us happiness. And so there can be a sense of, I thought this was my purpose, this particular job, this particular journey, this particular relationship, and then I woke up one day and it didn't fix me. It didn't, it didn't really solve what I was hoping it would solve. So uh, it's important uh, in the work I do with clients that we first spend time on uh, the past and letting go of any stories, ideas, beliefs that hold us back from really having an experience of presence Uh, It could easily be said that our purpose is to simply be, to be present, to be love in the world. And when we get that, when we get the inside uh, in alignment with that external purpose, it's a great paradox, Lana, because it it loses its its, um, importance in some way, and yet then we seem to naturally be drawn to what is fulfilling in the outer realm. So, again, it's really about uh, inner awakening before we start looking at outer purpose. So in, I have a chapter in my book called Living on Purpose, and I write about those two different types of purpose and offer some tools of how we uh, live our inner purpose and our outer purpose. Okay. Now, you are a um, awakening coach, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, for the audience, this might be a new term for some of us. Explain exactly what awakening coach would do for somebody. Yeah, so I work with people. Um, I'm also an addiction counselor, so I work with people either coming out of an addiction or having that moment, that now what moment. There's there's some sense that there is something deeper. There's a deeper reality here. There's a deeper existence. There's something that I want to connect with. It's not about, you know, these externals that we've been talking about. 
Um, so I assist people in awakening to their true nature. That, that really, that's the, uh, the subtitle of my book, Awakening to Your True Nature. And what I mean by that is, again, recognizing our inherent pristine self, that part of us that is changeless and eternal. And so early, as I said before, early in my spiritual path, I thought I had to attain something or get somewhere. And now my perspective is this is much more about unlearning than it is about learning. So I assist people in looking and discovering what some of those core false beliefs are that hold them back from experiencing their own um, awakened self, their own divinity. And also uh, we look at dismantling some of the stories that we've collected about ourselves in the world. Um, Awakening to our true nature is a natural process when we're willing to dismantle the mind and let go of some of these stories. One way I say it in my book is that living a, the shortcut to living a peaceful existence is by uh, letting go of our stories. Okay, awesome. Now, listening to you talk, um, I, I can imagine that uh, for the person who is seeking enlightenment and, and is doing this process and working on themselves and and um, you know finding their person their purpose and having this inner awakening. Uh, and they're getting to that special spot, it might become very difficult to walk around in this world because there are a lot of people in this world who are not going through this process. So is it difficult for the awakened person to coexist in in a society where people are not at peace, not self-realized? Well, my experience with that is in my own journey that it's not so much that it's difficult, but it's just I didn't have a lot of interest in some of it. So I didn't really have, I kind of lost interest in some of the conversations that are happening, you know, uh, the, the, the debate, the opinions, the, the right and wrong conversations, the, the victim, you know, conversations. I just kind of lost interest in that. Now, I do work with people that share exactly what you just did, that as they begin to awaken as they begin to live a much more connected and fulfilling life, they do have a period where it is a struggle to kind of be in this world. Um, One of my favorite quotes uh, is said to have been said by Jesus, which is uh, to be in this world but not of it. And I think that's exactly what he was speaking to, that can I be in this world? Can I exist in this world but not be of it? Can I not be... I'm tied to all of that. So I think there's a couple of important things, and I'm really, really happy that you're bringing this point up. One is finding spiritual community or a community of like-minded people that are at least on this path, at least committed to this path of awakening, because those are the conversations that will enliven and enlighten us on our path. Another important thing, I think, is mentorship. Uh, And that's really what I do as an awakening coach, really um, assist people in uh, discovering their true essence and their this other way of being that is not um, really at the mercy of external. So uh, those are some important points. And, and many people go through, uh, like I did, a, a period of being lost in the wilderness, kind of meaning that we're, we know that we have this awakening experience, but we're not sure how to be in the world and not sure what to do next. And I, I feel a little lost here, like I'm kind of wandering around the wilderness, and that is a very, very common experience, and that's something I also assist people with on how to walk through that. Okay. It sounds sort of like, um, and you did mention that you are an addiction counselor, when somebody is in recovery, what they find themselves doing is they have to surround themselves with people who are trying to walk the same walk that they are and they kind of disassociate themselves with former circles sometimes because those people are no longer in the same mental place that this person is trying to keep themselves in. It kind of sounds similar to that. That, Lana, is a perfect metaphor for it and it's exactly the same process. You know, people, as you said, that are practicing an addiction may need to, for at least a period of time, remove themselves from the, the, the places and the people that they were associating with, not because there's some judgment about that, but because they need to have some time to be around people dedicated to uh, sobriety and recovery so that they can get a firm ground, you know, become grounded in more of their bedrock of being before kind of going back out into the quote-unquote real world. And, and, and I find that's a perfect parallel to people on the awakening path as well. 
we might need to spend some time, you know, surrounding ourselves with people that are, have, you know, in this conversation, uh, using the same language and dedicated to this path. Um, obviously, the intention is to also be in the world. Uh, you know, we don't necessarily want to uh, find a cave somewhere and spend the rest <laughs> of our life meditating, although some, that's fine for some people. Sometimes you want to do that, though, TJ. <laughs> Sometimes you want to do that. You just want to pack a bag and say, forget them all. I'm just going to go up here to the mountain and I'm not going to see anybody for the rest. You know, sometimes you do. But the, the reality is you have to find some sort of way to uh, coexist. And, you know, I've, I have found that, especially the place that I'm at in life, you know, I, I really, really, you know, I want to have peace. I, I want no chaos. And, you know, I, I really work on myself to be in that place, to maintain that place. But my reality is I... um. I have to step outside my front door and then, you know, disruptive peace and chaos comes at you and you have to find a way to kind of maintain your, your special spot. And, uh, yeah. you know, uh, it, it's all a part of the learning journey. And, and sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's not easy, which I guess will probably lead me to my next, which, you know, once you reach this special spot and you're, you're, you're there, are there, are there bad days? Yeah, thank you for that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it was either an event or a linear process? Like every day I would wake up more and more and more, and every day I would yes. more and more. Peace. That has not been my experience. What is different for me today is I'm able to witness that rather than being tied to it. Uh, and what I mean by that is uh, if I find myself irritated, if I find myself activated by something that someone says, I can pretty quickly identify that that's something within me that is wanting to be healed rather than making it about the other person. And then I can witness that from this essential self and really send lots of love to that part of myself because um, I spent many years rejecting what I called the negative aspects of self. And, and, you know, as this conversation goes on, I would love to talk about shadow work um, and what the shadow is and how we embrace it and how important, I believe and feel that that work is in our awakening because there are a lot of spiritual practices that want to bypass that. And I write about that pretty extensively in my book. So it is definitely not linear for me and the people that I work with and that my friends as well. We have our days. Well, for whatever reason, I might wake up and my ego's just like right there. You know, that voice in the head. Is just, there it is. <laughs> Hello. How you doing today, TJ? I'm going to walk around exactly. with you all day today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and I would never want to give the impression that, because, I, you know, I hear spiritual teachers talking about that. They have this incredible awakening experience, and ne- they don't have the human experience anymore. And although I think that's really a nice um, uh, intention, and, and people say, ooh, one day I could be like that, it also creates a divide, you know. And, it, it, you know, I, I certainly don't want to present myself ever as like, oh, I'm so, you know, I'm beyond that human experience. It just isn't true. It's just awesome. my relationship with my ego, my relationship with that thinking is fundamentally different. And I feel like that's a permanent shift I had. And the rest is a process of waking up more and more to this essential self and being able to live in it more and more. And as you said, walk out the door. And, not, and, and even if it's for five minutes more than yesterday, I could be at peace in the midst of chaos. And I think that to me is the, the most useful part of a spiritual awakening. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're going to take a uh, quick commercial break, and since you brought up shadow work, when we come back, we're going to uh, introduce introduce ourselves to that term and let you talk about that. So stay with me. We'll be right back right after that. Bye. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. I am hanging out with the author of the book, The Conscious Being, Mr. T.J. Woodward. And uh, before the break, he said he wanted to kind of talk about a section in his book uh, that talks about shadow work. So first of all, I wanted to inquire exactly what is that and then let you kind of go into what we need to do to do our shadow work. Yeah, absolutely. Simply said, shadow is really that part of ourselves that we've rejected and repressed. I mean, this is a psychological term that was really developed 
initially, I believe, by Freud, but really Carl Jung developed for a further understanding of what happens in the shadow. We can uh, use that interchangeably with unconscious or subconscious as well. It's that part of me or that part of us that we reject and uh, want to not acknowledge, right? It, it could be greed. It could be lust. It could be something that we don't want people to see, so we bury it deeply in our subconscious. And what happens when we don't acknowledge that is that a couple of things happen. One, it really runs our life. It's, Carl Jung says it so beautifully, that which is left in the unconscious runs our life, and we call it fate. It's only when mm. we bring it into the, the conscious awareness that we can actually change something. So there are many spiritual practices uh, that bypass that work, and they just want to move to love and light, and everything is great. I was part of a spiritual tradition that used to term, use the term, we call it good. So anything that was happening, everyone would just say, we call it good, and then we wouldn't talk about it. The, the secondary aspect of shadow is that we project onto others. So yes. when I'm judging another, it is always something about me, because I wouldn't have the judgment if it was completely resolved within me. One way I say this is like, I've never been triggered by a bank robber because I've never considered robbing a bank. But when, mm -hmm. I, when I, get, I can get really activated by a, a behavior that either I, have, I used to have, that I'm ashamed of, or that is buried deeply in my subconscious. So we can talk about um, the benefit of bringing that shadow into the surface and how we do it, if you would like. Okay, yes, please. Okay, so we first have to recognize this is happening. And for, for many of us, it starts as a concept. So what I do is, what I've done and what I assist clients in doing is really, really bringing awareness uh, uh, to my inner life, my reaction to life. Uh, one of my favorite definitions of a spiritual experience is a profound alteration in our reaction to life. <clears throat> I would change that now to response. But we recognize that part of us that gets triggered or activated, and then I begin to ask myself some questions about that. Uh, what am I seeing here? What am I feeling here? Uh, what is really happening? What is within me that is causing a reaction? And once I start to examine and explore that, uh, and I have some gentleness around that process for me, I can allow that to emerge, and that gets to dissipate simply by bringing it into awareness. For many of us, this is a process, just like everything else we've been talking about today, Lana. Uh, it's mm -hmm. awareness, awareness, awareness. Okay, okay. Now, uh, I'm just kind of kind of going in and out of a little personal interaction I had with um, a, a young lady. I, I have to interact with her just because of business, but she's very... Um, she projects her, her, her bitterness and her anger onto others. So in my way of trying to deal with her, I kind of listen to her. I keep silent. I nod my head. And then I'm looking for my quickest exit, you know, left uh, or right out of the conversation as soon as I possibly can. And that's how I've learned to kind of deal with her and cope with her. But I've noticed the more and more that I've, I've done this uh, as weeks go, go by, she gets more angry and out uh, her outburst more with me um, because I'm not, I guess, giving her back the energy that she's, she's giving to me. Um, and, and there's a, you know, it's, it's just really sad when people don't understand the, the dysfunction that they're throwing out into this world and, and what they're called, the harm that they, they're causing to others without even really, you know, harm comes in so many different forms. It's not really physical harm or whatever. But, you know, here it is. You have a person who's really, really trying to keep their mental state in this peaceful place, you know, and I'm trying, you know, not to agitate you or engage you or, you know, buy on board to, you know, this nonsense that you're talking, but you're continuously wanting to keep your whole environment, uh, environment, excuse me, in this chaotic stage. It's just very, it's, it's just a very sad place to be for somebody, I would think. And you would think that somebody would say, hey, this just does not feel right I, something has to change I have to I have to stop being who I'm being but sadly a lot of people don't really get to that place in life yeah it's, it's absolutely true you know the ego feeds on conflict the ego feeds on opinions and on us and them and right and wrong and usually it manifests with I am right and you are wrong but it also can manifest with there's something wrong with me and you must have the answer 
Uh, so a couple of things, you know, as you kind of unplug from the drama, if you will, <laughs> sometimes the ego flares up even more because it's really trying to mm-hmm. engage that, that negativity. Now, most of us wouldn't acknowledge that's what's happening because we may not be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the key to me is always compassion. It's mm-hmm. always, can I have compassion for this person? One practice that I use uh, and that I talk about in my book Uh, You know, a lot of us talk about oneness. It it seems to be very popular these days to talk about oneness. Even quantum physics is recognizing our interconnectedness. And so what I do with that, Lana, when I have those situations in my life, Mm -hmm. I start by recognizing that I'm one with this person. Now, that takes a great deal of commitment and courage (laughs) on my part, Uh, and that's a practice. Once I get there, then I say something like, isn't it interesting I'm doing that? I might ask myself, what am I, and again, I'm, I'm referring to the other as me, mm-hmm. what am I trying to uh, seek here? What is my soul's desire here? What am I really wanting? Um, I don't have that answer for what she's seeking, but that shift into becoming curious about what she is looking for, one of the ways I say it is, you know, um, We hear often everything is love or fear, and I think that's a great framework. However, one day I woke up and I thought, what if everything was either love or a request for love? And that in some way she is, in her own way, seeking to be loved, to be heard, to be seen. Okay. Uh, so, of course, as you walk away, because, it, you know, we do the best we can at any given moment, right? Sometimes we yes. just have to leave the room. And <laughs> so she, she might be reacting to that, whether she is aware of it or not, like, but you're, you're not seeing me, you're not hearing me. Um, mm-hmm. I had a beautiful spiritual teacher early in my life who I dedicate the book to, Mary Helen Brownell. There's a very, very powerful story uh, that changed me, really changed my perspective forever. I was Uh, with her, Mary Helen. I was with her in the airport in Los Angeles in 1992. We were on our way to India, and we had a 24-hour delay in in getting onto our flight. So we were in the airport, and we were exhausted, and there was a lot going on. And there was a young mother uh, who had, as best I can remember, was an infant, but the infant was just screaming, as, as, you know, as, as it sometimes happened. And the mother began to become uh, verbally abusive to the baby, telling it to shut up, and, and people were horrified. And I'll put myself in that category. I was just shocked. And, and I recognized I had a lot of judgment and, and wanted to do something but didn't know what. And Mary Helen stood up. She was sitting next to me. She stood up and walked over. And I couldn't hear every word she said, but I heard her say, I was a young mother myself once. I know how hard this is. Is there any way I can support you right now? And she sat down with the mother. She picked up the baby, and the baby eventually calmed down. And Mary Helen sat with her for for what what felt like an hour. I don't remember how long, but really allowed this mother that was frightened and terrified, and she was being abusive. But Mary Helen, for whatever reason, was able to meet her with compassion rather than judgment. I recognized that I wasn't capable of doing that at that point in my evolution, and it gave me so much hope that one day, one day I can arrive at a place where I can meet everything with love and compassion. And that's that's a tall order, and that's asking us to really live these spiritual principles. Yes, indeed. Um, And, you know, we all like to... uh, I, it might be this this ego. You even in our our discompassion, uncompassion, we like to say we're compassionate creatures, but we're really not living that. Sometimes, um, you know, we we want to assume that oh, I'm not mistreating anybody, I'm not doing anybody wrong. But you know, if we stop to really pay attention to some of our actions, you know, like even with what you just pointed out. Um, with the situation I'm going through with a young lady, like she might be actually reaching for me to assist her, but I'm not doing my part in the equation to um, possibly give her what she needs uh, to help her grow. Um, But at the same time, you know, if you had asked Lana five minutes ago, oh, I'm a very compassionate person, TJ, what are you talking about? I care about everybody. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, and that's, that's true for all of us. That's, that's why we call it a spiritual practice, right? And, yeah. and I think it's also important because you brought up an important point. It doesn't mean that we're going to let people walk all over us, but what yes. it does mean is that I'm going to choose compassion, and that usually is a practice. So, uh, you know, and then I get to have compassion for myself when I have the judgment. I get to witness that judgment. I get to say, okay, what would love do? Because I know that's essentially who I am. What would God do? What would love do? What would source do? Whatever word we use for that, what would that beingness want here? And it's always love and presence. So I get to move toward that, and I get to make a commitment to myself to um, really look at all of those parts of me that, have, that prevent me from experiencing that full time. Because isn't that the goal? Yes. We want to do this full time. And I know that we're capable of that, and it feels like we're waking up to that on our planet. Yes, yes. And you mentioned that in the book um, that you feel that there is some sort of movement towards everybody um, getting on the same page with this. Um, do you, is it going to be something you feel happens very rapidly or we're, you know, is it something that me and you would see in our time or something down the line? Well, I, I guess the short answer is I actually don't know. Um, but okay. what, I, what, I, what I feel and what I experience in my world is that more and more of us every day are in this conversation. I mean, I look at um, one of our great teachers of our time, Oprah, who is, you know, watch, look at her evolution. I mean, it's yes. incredible to watch what she was doing on her show and what her life is dedicated to now. And that she's not isolated. There are so many of us now in this conversation. She's a person that took it to a very large stage. Um, there was an, an old belief, even 20 years ago, I think people thought that enlightenment was for Buddha or Jesus or Lao or some, some <laughs> master teacher from thousands of years ago. What's different now is each of us know that it's possible. Each of us are now really living in this possibility that we can all do this awakening and that love is the answer really to every question. So I think it is happening in our lifetime, and cool. uh, I think it's happening in this moment. Awesome, awesome. I would, I would love to, to see that. I've been disappointed with quite a few things in my, my 46 years of living, so it will be nice to see some things kind of change and shift and, and move about. Um, look at the time here. We're going to take our last commercial break, and when we come back, we'll be uh, back with more T.J. Woodward right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello and welcome back. Today I am with TJ Woodward. He is the author of Conscious Being, Awakening to Your True Nature. And before the break, uh, we had uh, mentioned a couple of times this word judgment. And in your book, I read that you had uh, taken a challenge to go 30 days without an opinion. Um, for me, uh, quite honestly, that was uh, that would be a real stretch to not have an opinion for 30 days. But why is it important to understand uh, the role of opinions in this process of self-realization? Well, first I want to share how that process went. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I committed, this was, gosh, maybe uh, I don't know. I don't actually know when it was, but I made, a, I made a commitment with my friend John to go 30 days without an opinion, and I went about three hours. Now, I, I wasn't, I actually wasn't, I just thought I could just not say an opinion and I would do it, but what I found out was as I stopped articulating uh, or speaking the opinion, they were just in my head, and they were getting louder and louder. I'm reminded of the, the person we were just speaking of. As I wasn't... Um, Speaking these opinions, they were getting louder and louder and more intensified in my mind. So it was a great opportunity for me to be aware of how, just how I'm constantly walking around with opinions. So the reason that we would do this practice is um, opinions are what keep us trapped in our, our, our way of being. Um, one of the ways to say this is that karma is not an outside force. It is us walking around with a fixed, fixed opinions, beliefs, and ideas about the world, and the world seems to respond in the same way. It feels like it's coming from outside of us, but actually it is happening internally. So when I recognize, you know, another way to say it simply is nothing changes if nothing changes. If I continue to hold my fixed opinions about the world, I will continue to get the same results. We have become 
obsessed with opinions in our culture. We have entire websites now where what we do is give our opinions about people mm-hmm. and businesses. We have uh, our, our news programs now have not, they're not, they're not a dialogue about topics or issues anymore. They are each side of the equation giving opinions, yelling over each other. This, is, yes. this has become such a normal way of being, and I think it's really... Um, we can see that it, 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 on one level of consciousness, it's dividing our country, it's dividing the world. Uh, the more I am fixed in my opinions, the less I'm open to seeing the commonality and the connection with all people. Okay, okay. Now, um, as you mentioned with your, your little uh, journey there, your personal test, it is, it is a hard process, though, to not have opinions. You know, um, I, I'm just, I, I would hard say, I have opinion about what I want to eat for dinner tonight or something like that. But I mean, that's on a small scale. Um, Is there some sort of process that we can go through to become a better person when it comes to having opinions or no? Yeah. Or is it just, it's just going to something that's always going to be ingrained in us. I I think it's, it's yes, it's both. And so um, I don't think the, the intention or the goal is to be completely opinion free. But what I notice is uh, what happens when I have these fixed opinions. So the process for me really wasn't about, like, as you said, of course, I'm going to have a preference for what I'm going to eat for dinner, where I'm going to go on vacation, who Mm -hmm. I spend my time with. But fixed opinions are something, uh, you know, that feels different. So the process itself may or may not be about removing opinions. It's really just an opportunity to see where I'm at with that. Like, how many opinions am I walking around with? How is that? Uh, keeping me um, connected or separate, you know, like at the end of one of these news shows that that I was referring to, it's clear that we didn't really get to talk about the issue. We we just witnessed an argument, and you know, yes. each of us can be, yeah, that guy's right and she's wrong, and you know, <laughs> all this about rightness and wrongness. And then it's like, where did we get with that? So mm-hmm. questioning the p- opinions and examining them and looking at them is an opportunity for us to loosen the grip of our ego, so that again we can return. Um, to me, which is our natural state, which is awakened and enlightened. Okay, there goes that ego again. So let me ask you this. Is it is it possible that we're going to be able to coexist with this ego guy or girl in a healthy manner, or they're just always going to be tapping us on the shoulder and saying, hey, today's not going to be a good day, or ha, you thought I went away, but here I am, or is it possible to harness this 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 ego thing and 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 make it a livable, a happy happy, livable situation, harmony? Well, I, you know, again, I believed that the goal was to be rid of the ego. And I can Mm -hmm. only speak from my level of consciousness. And what I mean by that is uh, I may listen to this radio show a year from now and say, oh, I'm in a very different level of awareness. Mm -hmm. But from where I'm at today, what I recognize is that uh, we don't need to get rid of the ego. Uh, Dr. Sue Mortar, who's a wonderful, wonderful speaker, says only ego would want ego to die. And so what has shifted for me is my relationship to ego. In other words, uh, when I have ego being primary in my life and it's running the show, it's, that's very different than recognizing the spirit or beingness is running the show. And from there, ego becomes very, very useful because without it, we wouldn't be alive. Without it, we wouldn't have technology. We wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So in the enlightened state or in the awakened state, ego becomes the vehicle for spirit. It becomes the way that I bring uh, my consciousness into the world. It's only when I have it reversed that it causes problems. And and then the answer to, like, is that ego always going to be tapping me on the shoulder? I think yes and no, you know, because mm-hmm. those voices used to be really brutal, and they have gotten softer and more gentle as I have questioned them, as I have recognized that they are not who and what I am. So I think that it's paradoxical in some ways. As I welcome my ego to the table, it does seem to lose its power to dominate. Okay, okay. Now, uh, this moves me uh, quickly into a topic I want to make sure I cover before we get out of here. Um, there's a chapter in your book called Personal Accountability, and I really like that um, uh, just because it's really kind of something that I believe in when I'm, I'm dealing with uh, helping and mentor, mentoring people. You know, a lot of times we want to deflect a lot of um, our stuff 
our state of life uh, outside of us. Uh, but what happens when people don't place the reality of their life in their own hands? What happens when they're not personal, account- well, what- personally accountable? Go ahead. When we're not personally personally accountable, we are literally a victim to our external circumstances. We get bounced around by life. I'm happy if I get the job. I'm I'm sad if I lose the job. Um, I'm I'm grateful if I have a partner. I'm not grateful if he or she leaves me. You know, we're really a victim to to external circumstances. Personal accountability starts with a fundamental decision that I am going to recognize that I am creating my life or what I call reality based on my level of conscious awareness. I write it, there's an entire chapter in my book uh, that I call conscious awareness, or conscious evolution, I believe I call it. And that is really recognizing that there, I've, I've discovered and I write about four different levels of conscious awareness. We know there are infinite numbers of them, but I've given it some framework for us to understand so that we can kind of see where we're coming from primarily and then tools to kind of move into a deeper awareness of the ultimate reality, which is the mystical experience or the oneness and the connection with, with love, with source, with source, with the truth of who we are. Awesome. Now, before we get out of here, I want to make sure that the audience has an opportunity to connect with you. And I, I want to, to uh, let them know that you are the founding spiritual director of Awakened Living in San Francisco. So if they wanted to um, connect with you and possibly book a session, how would they go about doing that? Thank you. The best way to do that is tjwoodward.com. On that website, you, you can find links to my book. You can find links to, I, I have a TV show where I, enter a, uh, I interview a wide array of guests talking about 21st century spirituality. Uh, I have a radio show as well, and then the spiritual community Awakened Living is there as well. Uh, in addition to that, uh, you can schedule an appointment online. I meet with clients worldwide on Skype or FaceTime and also in person in San Francisco. Um, I uh, really encourage uh, anyone that's listening that is ready to make that shift into this uh, new way of being, this more natural way of being that is not filled with clinging and aversion, uh, please, please uh, you know, schedule a session. I'll offer a complimentary consultation so we can talk about where you are in your awakening process and how I can support you. Okay. Now, really quick question. I don't know if this is a yes or no answer, but I guess my time frame is going to have to be. Is it possible for um, me as an enlightened, awakened individual to bring somebody to TJ and say, this person um, needs to grow, this person needs to evolve? Is it possible to make that happen? Or does the person have to be in that state where I'm, I'm ready to be open to the mentorship and the coaching of TJ? Well, I think, yes, it's absolutely possible. And then we will find out exactly where each of us are in terms of our willingness to do what it takes. Because it, 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 it takes courage and it takes okay. willingness. So okay. I'm always wanting to talk to anybody wherever they're at in their own process. Awesome, awesome. Well, this is the end of our hour. I've, I've learned so much. I've enjoyed uh, my time with you today. My guest today has been TJ Woodward. Please visit his websites, ConsciousBeingBook.com and TJWoodward.com, W-O-O-D-W-A-R-D.com. Thanks, TJ, for hanging out with me. I've enjoyed you greatly. Thank you, Lana. It's been a pleasure. Awesome, awesome. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you next week.